vomit is wicked Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted A woman could bear you, break you, take you Now it's time to rhyme Can you relate to a sister's open up to make you holler and scream Hello everybody, welcome to a very, very special Very special broadcast of a new podcast called The School Podcast This is Charles Cole from the Eight Black Hands um, And happy to help bring in a new family member to that Eight Black Hands podcast of just some strong, amazing women in his work that's doing some incredible, incredible work. Um, today, I want to introduce you to this new just group, and we're just really excited about what they can do and what they're, what they're going to talk about and what they bring to this podcast space. Uh, but before I go into who they are, here are the topics just for the first episode so y'all are ready, so you know what's about to happen. Uh, one, they want to talk about the Chicago strike. Uh, two, they want to talk about public service versus political interests. And then finally, they want to round this out by talking about the Democratic candidates. And it looks like specifically a few folks, uh, namely like the Elizabeth Warrens. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's going to be great. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. But first, uh, so let's start with Tanisha. Tanisha, can you tell us who you are and where you're from and why you're excited about this new podcast? What's going on, y'all? My name is Tanisha Peoples. I'm from Chicago, born, raised, still live here. I am the Deputy Director of Outreach and Education Post, um, longtime education organizer, fighter for the people, DJ, all that good stuff. Um, so I'm excited about this podcast because I have a lot to say, you know, um, really calling people out. I do it every week in my Hope and Outrage column. So to have another platform, to have these conversations and really just uncover the truth and um, uplift our communities is is a dope opportunity. So I'm happy to be here with you guys, Charles, um, along with the A Black Hands cast and also with uh, Christina and Margaret, who you will introduce after me. Absolutely. And you, I think you just did a good job of it. Uh, we're going to go <laughs> into Miss Fortune. Miss Fortune, can you tell the people who you are and why you're excited about this podcast? Yes, well, I'm glad to be on with uh, with you, Charles, and with my sisters. Um, I'm Margaret Fortune. I'm the education advisor to the National Action Network, uh, Sacramento chapter. I live in the capital city of California, uh, where I was born and raised, Sacramento, and where I founded uh, seven charter schools designed to close the African-American achievement gap by preparing kids for college starting in kindergarten. Um, I'm an advocate for black children, and I'm excited to have uh, this platform to talk about the work and also to challenge some of our conventional thinkers about why uh, black parents in particular um, need choice when it comes to the education of their children. That's awesome. I'm really, really excited about that. So, ladies, uh, the Chicago strike was the first topic that was on the docket. And Tanisha, you are from my birth city. Uh, you currently live there and have grown up there. Can you fill the folks in around what's going on in Chicago right now? Oh, man, it's a, it's a lot as always. Chicago's always doing the most. And here we go doing the most with this teacher strike. So um, as many of you know, we had a, a historic strike in 2012 in which um, there was pushback on charter schools. There was pushback on under-resourced schools. And in that, as a, as a result, we had close to 50 schools closed. Fast forward to 2019, we have a new mayor, new administration in town. And, um, you know, to me, it's the political BS as always. So what's happening now is the Chicago Teachers Union orchestrated a strike 
in which they have several demands for our new mayor. Um, some of those demands include uh, making classes smaller, hiring more support staff, and of course, um, teachers raising their benefits. Now, what I've been pushing back on is um, some of these demands that the union has put forth that legally they can't strike for. And so they're calling this a social justice justice strike in which they're trying to really um, support South Side schools and West Side schools. So the South and West Sides of Chicago, you guys know Chicago is super segregated. And um, those are where the Black and Latinx communities are. And those schools are obviously severely under-resourced. So they're calling this a social justice strike to get the resources for those schools. Resources that they technically can't strike for really, you know, if I, if, from a bird's eye view, they haven't really advocated for these real heavily advocated for them, you know, all these years. And then now it's a big issue. So I'm a little frustrated. I've been sounding off about it on social media, getting some pushback because, you know, the first thing that comes to people's minds are, is that if you are pushing back against the Chicago teachers union, then you're anti-teacher, which isn't the case. You know, we, we love our teachers. We know that they do a, a great job for our students and we want them to have all the resources that they need. But you know, in my opinion, y'all want these added like support staff and stuff like that, primarily because you've lost 10 percent of your memberships between 2012 and 2019. So if you get a thousand plus more members or support staff in schools, that increases your membership on top of the fact that y'all have been trying to unionize charter school teachers. So it's a lot, you know, um, and the strike is going on. Well, I believe it's seventh or eighth day. They started last Thursday. People again hella frustrated because now kids aren't able to complete, complete their college applications. Um, student athletes aren't able to compete. So they've taken their grievances to CPS and to the state. So it's a lot going on and it's just a hot mess. And, you know, I just really want people to, to really talk about this and dig deeper, you know, because we support our teachers, but we can't always support the politics that comes with teachers unions. Can you, can Thanks you for explaining. It down? Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm sorry to just jump in. I'm so curious coming out, out here from the West Coast because the um, you know the teachers unions are being ex are strikes and their tactics are being exported from Chicago to the rest of the country. Um, you know that's what's happened in in the interim between 2012 and 2019. So you know rest assured that the rest of the country is is looking and learning. Um, but but Chicago is distinguished because uh, teacher compensation is actually quite high when compared to the rest of the country. Can you break that down? Right. You know, and it's, there's some controversy behind that because some people want to say there was a um, fact finder that came out that, you know, tried to debunk that. But Chicago teachers are well paid. I want to say that the, the starting salary is around um, in the mid to low 50s. And with um, with tenure and pay lanes and all those things, and with the 16% pay raise that Lori Lightfoot has promised over the next five years, um, most Chicago teachers are poised to make close to a six-figure salary. You know, and so I've seen some arguments on social media from teachers about, oh, well, we can't afford the cost of living and, you know, we're um, having to pay for stuff for our classrooms and I get all that. But what about 
these communities that can't afford the cost of living either. You know, so what? who's going to bail us out when we can't pay our bills, you know, and then get these um, special privileges and subsidies and all those things. So, you know, honestly, my feeling about it is, hey, we all out here struggling, dealing with Chicago's high taxes and, you know, high cost of living, and we got to make a way. So y'all got to make a way too. And again, this is not taken away from the important work that they do, but it's like, you can't cry about the salaries that you make when some of the communities that you teach in aren't even making half of that, you know? So it's, it's kind of crazy. And really, I do think that Chicago is putting on the show for the country because we, our union has been the leader in kind of setting standards for how teachers unions should strike, you know? And so with them taking on this, this message of social justice, that'll be, I'm sure, the trend when a lot of other unions decide to strike across the country. And I know we got... Uh... We got Christina back. So, Christina, you want to hop in on this Chicago topic and then we can actually, I can have you introduce yourself afterwards. And, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, the focus needs to be on the students, what's happening with the kids, uh, much more so than, of course, the fiscal, you know, impact or what's happening with the money. And so that's where I feel like education systems, period, have lost sight. Um, the public traditional education systems have lost sight about what it is that it's all about. And it's common everywhere you go. It's like about money, money, money. Well, what about the students? You know, I'm a parent and a grandparent. I want to hear more talk about how the kids are going to be doing than more talk about how your pocketbook's going to be doing, right? And I understand everyone has to be compensated for their work. But at the same time, when the uh, reflection in the data is not showing why you're being compensated and why you're asking for more money, then it's a little bit hypocritical at that point. I want right. to see results. Right. And Christina, that was that, people you are hearing from the one Christina Lasser. Can you let the people know who you are real quick, Christina, what you do and why you're excited about doing work through this podcast? Sure. I am Christina Laster, and I am the uh, education chairwoman for Southwest Riverside County and NAACP. Uh, I am also a parent and proud grandparent. Uh, I am a homeschool mom, and I support and advocate on behalf of what is best for our Black children and Black parents and grandparents all over. Uh, that's awesome. So, as far you know, as education. <laughs> and, and just to throw us back into this conversation that Tanisha started, and I think y'all have done an amazing job on it. Uh, Tanisha, you go ahead and you take it away with your folks. Uh, so what do you want people listening to this podcast to really understand about this strike? Uh, because normally when people see headlines about strikes, they only get that top line news. They don't get in depth around the things that you're talking about. So y'all continue to educate us. I'm going to mute myself. Right. I mean, I think my biggest takeaways, I want people to dig deeper. You know, it's like in Chicago, when you see red shirts come out in force, then it's automatic. Oh, we got to support the union when sometimes, you know, the union isn't supporting our communities. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking as a, as a Chicago resident and as a homeowner, you know, realistically, we sometimes hear from administrations that they don't have any money. I don't know if that's true or not, but nine times out of 10, those added costs hit us as stakeholders, you know? So obviously we're going to see our property taxes rise, um, you know, cost increase other places and that's going to force people out of Chicago. We've already seen over 300,000 black families leave Chicago. And so when we have to pay for these, these salaries and 
these added support staff and and just random aside, I had some conversations with teachers um, over the past week or so. And they're saying that their school doesn't necessarily need a full-time nurse. Um, they would rather put that money somewhere else. And so I've asked the question, has CPS, not CPS, CTU, done an equity analysis across these schools to see what they really need? I doubt it, you know, because they're advocating for every school to have a full-time nurse and a full-time social worker when that full-time social worker may be important, more important than a nurse and the nurse might need to come part-time. But anyway... Um, I'm looking at it as a stakeholder, like, how is this going to, how are these costs going to affect communities, specifically low-income communities that you're advocating for when they have to pay for, you know, these these added resources? Are we going to have more closed schools? That could be a possibility. Tax tax increases, um, you know, increases in cost of living, all those things are possibilities that ultimately are going to hurt these communities more. And so I'm asking that when we run out and we wear our red shirts in support of the CTU, really look at their motivations. Again, their their sole purpose is to maintain power and increase their membership. And so in 2012, they hated charter schools. Now in 2019, they're kicking it with charter schools because they want to unionize their members. They also want to add, you know, a sticking point, which again, they can't strike for, for these added support staff that's going to add over a thousand members to their union. So really think about why they're striking. Are they striking for themselves? Are they pushing for power for themselves? Are they really pushing and working for the communities? And if they, these things do happen, which there's a likelihood that they get these demands, then we need to be on them as a community and make sure that these resources are equitably allocated to our communities that need them most. So I'm just asking people to dig deep and not to always drink the Kool-Aid and for parents to really push back on the powers that be and advocate for our kids. Because at the end of the day, as Christina said, they are the most important um, and they are all they are our common um <laughs> I guess asset, for lack of a better word, in this fight. Yeah, I like it. I'm just going to say there's so many layers to the issue. I mean, there, you know, when you look at what collective bargaining is for, it's for salary and benefits for teachers. And and what the uh, teachers union has done is it's expanded the the scope of collective bargaining to include what they're calling are issues of the, of the, of the common good, but they've defined certain types of education outside of the common good, but, but let's come and, and that means charter schools, which is why they've wrapped a, a charter school moratorium into their, into their collective bargaining. Right. Uh, you know, so, so there's that, but then there's also this, you, you, you mentioned that uh, what they have been offered is a 16% raise. Um, I think, over five years and what they uh, wanted is over three years. When you compare that to what to Los Angeles Unified, they bargained for a 6% raise um, and, and got it. Um, but the consequence for the district is that the cost is so high that they can't afford it. So they mm-hmm. went to the voters uh, for a parcel tax uh, right after uh, the UTLA strike, where there was all this public sympathy for the teachers union in their red shirts marching the streets of Los Angeles, but that sympathy did not translate into people being willing to tax themselves to bail the district out of the bad financial position that negotiating an agreement uh, that they could not afford put them in. So, um, you know, if the rest of the country mimics 
Chicago in uh, asking, making demands out of the public school systems that the public school systems cannot afford and that the voters are not willing to tax themselves uh, to pay for, then they risk bankrupting uh, the entire system. Um, so, so that's one thing. Uh, and having 360,000 children out on the street, on the streets or in their parents' care for, for seven days and, and, uh, and, and growing uh, is another thing. And, you know, the, you know, one is has some curiosity about, you know, how, how do families feel about that when day after day you have to wake up and, and, and say, well, are we going to have school today? You know, it's, um, it's completely, you know, disruptive to not just uh, what's going on in the schools, but I, I would imagine to the functioning of, of households in, in the city. Um, and the, the thing that I'm, I'm really concerned about is this uh, defining some educators as a part of the, pub, the common good and other educators as not. And specifically what I'm talking about is wrapping in issues uh, almost casually, like a charter school moratorium into the collective bargaining agreement. Um, there's this uh, animus for educators who are uh, educating uh, kids in a charter school environment um, versus the district environment. Um, and I think that that has nothing to do with what parents and students need and everything to do with the teachers union wanting absolute power over everything that happens in public education. And I think the thing that politicians like Elizabeth Warren, who are um, signing on for this agenda, have to realize is that the nature of public education has changed. Um, the, an old model of public education in which there is no choice for the parent um, is antiquated. And people have an expectation that they get to choose their child's education, education based on, on the needs of the family. And that's particularly true for, for populations that have been grossly underserved by traditional public schools. That's the case in California, where 80% of black kids can't do math at grade level and 68% don't read or write at grade level. That's what's happening at the hands of traditional district-run schools whose policies are dictated by teachers' unions. That's their track record. So to say that the answer for public education going forward is to shepherd those families, rather I would say push those families that have chosen public charter schools back into the schools that they have deliberately left that are run by districts and underperforming um, is really a backwards way of thinking. Uh, and, you know, and it's a pandering to the teachers union because of their current political power. And I'm beginning to think that Elizabeth Warren, uh, who, whose mantra has been, I've got a plan for that. It's more like I've got a plan for you when it comes to black families that are trapped in these failing schools. And it's not good. Um, Mark, oh, you know, so, I, not to interrupt you, Margaret. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think you're touching on something that's really uh, that's really powerful and really impactful. Um, and I think you segue really great into this, right? So, is this about public service or is this about public interest, right? When we, ha I mean, or a political interest when we had these conversations about education, right? So, like, I think that you were starting on that track. I just wanted to make sure we brought the audience with us. So, is is public education supposed to be about public service? 
or political interests. Go, go ahead and finish you know, your thought. Right. Let me throw it to Christina. So I want to interject because I heard uh, Tanisha, you know, you, you said that the, the unions, you know, were coming in and saying that, you know, they were supporting the lower, you know, socioeconomic community and communities of color. But my question is always going to be from the civil rights perspective, which brings in the historical context of when did unions ever support us uh really truly i mean people really need to go into some of the federal archives and see how it has been a tumultuous history between black people and unions trying to fight for civil rights within those uh unions and organizations to even have the representation that it was needed and so it almost seems like sometimes the union will come out and say, yeah, we're, we're all for this community, but are you, or are you for your bottom line? Right. And it looks equitable for you to now come into the community. And yes, we're representing, you know, your cause and we care about black teachers, but really do you is my question because uh, historically there has been even this, this just, up and I call it, well, we'll call it an ebb and flow, for lack of better words, uh, between black people and unions. And so even if you start back looking in the 1960s, you'll see court cases and, and, and where black people were like, you know, we're just going to start our own unions, right? Because this union doesn't want us. They're not trying to represent us. And they don't even care. As a matter of fact, we're getting treated worse trying to form and form, uh, you know, join them and force them. So now you have forced integration within the union. And now they're coming back into the community saying that they care about uh, our educators and teachers and the people that live there. It's all about the bottom. The bottom line is all about the dollar. So I just want people not to forget that. Like when you when you look at it, you know, historically, just, you know, keeping it real <laughs> powerful white. Tanisha, people. you sound far away. Just step up a little bit more. Oh, you're good. OK. Powerful white people have only come to us when they needed us. Right. So as an example of that, Elizabeth Warren released her plan Monday and all of a sudden she's here Tuesday in a red coat, you know, standing with the union. And so, <laughs> man, and I was like, people like, you want to see Elizabeth Warren? Like, no, nah, I'm not going to with that foolery because I'm not here for, um, I'm not here for the CTU, and I'm definitely not here for Elizabeth. You know, and so to talk to to and go they're back, not here for us, right? Exactly. And so, you know, it's like I just want to know. And looking at it, so Bernie Sanders was here last time. You got Elizabeth Warren here this week, and now you have Bernie Sanders tweeting like, y'all want to jump on this issue because it's hype and pandered to our communities because y'all need our votes. But then when, you know, when it's downtime and you don't need our votes and there's no strike and no need on the, on the behalf of the union, where are y'all? Y'all not here for us, for our schools, because the CTU itself is talking about, oh, we reached an agreement to create a pipeline for black and brown educators. But since 2012, we've lost thousands of black educators in Chicago. So y'all weren't trying to create that pipeline within these past seven years. So why is it all, all of a sudden a priority? You know, and so... That's another thing, like when we talk about these these unions and also the Democratic candidates, you know, everybody wants to be here for our issues when they benefit them. But when they're when they're a constant need, well, we we constantly need their support. Y'all are ghosts, you know, and so 
that's another thing. Like we got to wake up to the politics and recognize who our public servants are and who the politicians are. Realistically, we're dealing with a lot more politicians than we are public servants. Right. See, I really want to know what Cory Booker has to say uh, to Elizabeth Warren, because he really has been the only person on the debate stage who has acknowledged uh, that, you know, when he was um, in you know, leading, uh, uh, what was the city, when he was mayor, and he enlisted um, charter schools to help uh, bail out the public schools, and as a part of a comprehensive strategy, you know, he's the only one that has acknowledged that, you know, that was the approach that he used and it's an approach that communities need. So I'm really curious as to, you know, as to what his opinion is um, about Warren's uh, position. And, you know, I, I can't help think, I've, I've been trying to hold my tongue here about the racial politics of this. Let you know, lose you know, teachers union, teachers unions are, the membership is predominantly white women. Right. And, and the, the difficulty that unionized teachers have with black children is that they can't manage the classroom. They can't manage the classroom and therefore they end up suspending black students at three times the rate, this is just in California, than white students for the same offenses. Um, and so, but when it comes to, so when it comes to the, the, uh, the optics of what's happening in the unions, even though their membership is predominantly white women, they'll put black folks out front mm-hmm. to, to carry this message that is actually the opposite of what black families need, which is choice for the best educational options for their children, regardless of who is providing it. You know, we right. talk about, in this debate, folks talk about local control. Um, local control has never benefited black people. Right? right? Let's look at local control in the South during Jim Crow. <laughs> right? <laughs> what does that look like? You had to have the federal government come and bust it up just for kids to be able to go to school and drink out of the, out of, out of the, uh, the um, water fountains of their choice, right? You've always had to have federal, federal intervention in order to protect black people from local control. So um, the notion that, uh, that a part of what's wrapped up in this union contract is that you would stop um, the ability of people of color to open charter schools. And of course, you're going to have white folks open charter schools too. But remember that they're also looking to take away the rights of, of leaders of color to open up charter schools to serve their own communities. I mean, that's what I do. And, and the, the curious thing is that while the union points to charter schools and says that there's a lack of transparency and accountability, and therefore all of the uh, open meeting laws and the public record act request um, laws uh, and the sunshine laws should apply to the nonprofit organizations that run charter schools. And they've won on that. They don't apply the same standards to themselves. 
they don't, unions aren't responsible uh, for uh, public records act laws where a citizen could say, well, let, let me see the, the notes, the, the minutes of your meeting. Um, let me, let me uh, ask for your emails and talk about, and, and um, see, uh, you know, what your conversation was about these public issues. Um, the union doesn't have to have its meetings in public. The union doesn't have to provide the public with 10 days notice of what they're going to discuss at their public meeting before they, before they discuss it. And yet they have a fundamental part uh, in, in something that is protected under law, and that is collective bargaining. That's dictating how public resources are being used in schools, uh, dictating the educational program, dictating education policy. And not only that, They've reached out into other areas to say, well, you know what? We also want to make housing a part of this collective bargaining agreement. We also want to make charter schools a part of this collective bargaining agreement. All of those things are public policy issues that they have an opportunity to negotiate in secret when the rest of us have to negotiate that in public. And that's wrong. You know, and this is why, like, I always tell parents, you are not going to be able to change uh, district behavior, okay? And stop trying because you're, it's, it's you and then it's a forever self-repairing system of oppression. That's basically what it is. And so if you continue to try to change district behavior, you're just going to have your child end up at a deficit. So why don't we just change our behavior, right? And what does that look like? That looks like a, a person understanding what their options are, okay? Public charter schools. Uh, if they can afford it, private school. You know, I'm not against it. But again, knowing those options and taking your kid to a school where they're going to thrive and not fail. And, and, you know, it's like almost hypocritical to sit in the face constantly of the traditional uh, district schools and administrators and school boards and ask for them to be more equitable, but you're going to the same people that have already perpetuated bad practices the union backs them, okay, uh, for perpetuating these bad practices and, and equitable practices against our children. And then, you know, it's like, you want to go back to these people and say, hey, can you make sure you educate my kid? No, I wouldn't even trust my cat, let alone a caged bird in some of these places, okay? And so if they failed us generationally, why do you, we continue to trust our kids in these places? We need to start looking at what our options are taking our kids to a better place and any, you know, I even say, if you guys need help public, if you need help parents, please reach out and, 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 and I'll help you, you know? And so we need to take our kids to places where they're not going to be discriminated against, where they're not going to be uh, in a hostile environment where they can't even learn because they're always on the offense or the defense, right? Trying to protect who they are as children of color, especially our black children. And so that's a level of advocacy, parents and, and community. I'm saying stop fighting against the charter schools that are educating and advocating for best educational environments 
for our children and future generations. You're fighting against yourself. You know, we can't do that. We have to look at what is and not believe the rhetoric and push past that and vote with our feet as parents. Like we're not going to keep our kids in a selling system. I mean, yeah, I wonder what it would look like if the parents went on strike in Chicago. What would right. that look like, uh, Tanisha? The <laughs> <laughs> parents of 360,000 children go on strike. Look, they I've should. been trying to get people to snatch their kids out of school just to piss, like, just to, just to blow the system up. Because realistically, like Chris Stewart said, you know, they, they look at our kids as cotton, you know, for their, po- their per-pupil funding. And so if they don't have the kids in schools, then the district doesn't get paid. These teachers don't get paid. The union doesn't get paid. And so I'm, I've just wanted people to, you know, remove their kids for about a year, do whatever we need to do, homeschool, start our own charter schools. And that's why now, you know, in this whole time that I've been doing this advocacy work, having, again, grown up on the south side of Chicago in Inglewood, which is being one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city, um, I had an option to go to magnet schools. and my cousins, some of my cousins and kids that I grew up with didn't have that same option. So I'm all for school options, but I'm not for bad schools, you know? And so if you sit here and force these bad schools down our throats because of our skin color and because of where we live, I'm not having it. And none none of us should have it. And if you don't want to give us a return on our investment, which are our, our kids monies and our tax dollars, then snatch them out. Any other time if we go to a restaurant and we get bad service or we don't like the food, we're not coming back. We're going somewhere else. Why can't we do the same thing with schools? And so I'm not saying that we need to take our kids out and put them in, you know, charter schools or, you know, spend money to go to private schools. But we have to do something. We need to force this public system to do better by our kids or, yeah, like Christina said, find other options. in it. And I think that's the reason why there's so much pushback on charter schools because if people do realize that, hey, I don't like this, I'm about to find a way to start my own school, which would be a charter school, then the union is in danger. You know, the public You're school in- system, traditional system is Molly, in danger. you in danger, girl. Right. <laughs> you know, but I, this, is, this is my message to the civil rights organizations and people that are fighting uh, the, the public charter schools. Okay, I got a question for them. I constantly hear, and this is my message, I constantly hear, well, we need to have our own. We need to start our own, you know, black school. Well, how did they think, how do you guys think they're going to do that if you're fighting the very platform, you know, that you would have to use to have your own successful school? Does it make sense to me? Again, we need to be aware of what we're saying and what we're doing and how we're fighting ourselves on that level to say, hey, yeah, I want my own school over here, right? And I think this is what it should look like. And this is the best way for us to help uh, our students by educating them, you know. But then I don't like the, the school choice or charter school platform. I, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out how do you think you're going to have a school. So we need to really be very cautious of what we're opposing. I don't oppose uh, options, but uh, for the most part, there's people that do and they don't even understand the full dynamic or implications of what they're doing. Well, Christina, you're at the uh, NAACP uh, conference right now in California, right? Oh, yeah. So what are they talking about? So where, where are you? You're in L.A.? Yes, um, I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California, uh, at the NAACP annual, 32nd annual state conference. 
And today is officially our second day. Uh, yesterday, I got to, you know, go to an open session where Governor Newsom came and uh, discussed all of the wonderful things that he's working on um, for the Black community. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. And today will be a whole new day of eventful workshops in education. Really? Okay, so does he have a plan for us too? <laughs> what he did not. He discussed briefly, um, and this is what I'm noticing, people are kind of like, skimming over this, not really going into full detail. They just say, yes, and we have a plan to combat the uh, achievement gap. Well, he did go into depth about really fully supporting uh, preschool education as far as before age three and also giving resources to parents to be able to put their children in a quality daycare um, because he believes that, you know, education starts way before kindergarten. And if the students are entering into kindergarten at a deficit, then they're already behind, right? Because, you know, we already know that there's certain demographics that are not black that have a head start, right? So interestingly enough, you had mentioned Cory Booker earlier, and I want to know where he stands today on that racial wealth gap that he did the whole episode on Netflix. We'll talk about that some other time. But uh, that's what Governor Newsom was talking about, mostly, you know, breaking the achievement gap by starting earlier, not waiting for the kids to actually get into school to do something about it. So they're working on that. Yeah. Yeah, I got a I got a note from our producer that we gotta we gotta move on into our final thoughts. I think the conversation about you know the black community trusting in historic systems to support us is like uh, something for another day that can probably take four hours. Specifically, Christina, you know, talking about the NAACP, but um, yeah, just you know, what are we what are we thinking? What do what's our message to the community around? You know, again, trusting these these people, these unions, these um, politicians and, you know, to carry us or to support us when really we have the power ourselves. What do we what do we want them to know? You know, I would like to go ahead. No, you go ahead. So I was having this conversation with, you know, some other presidents just last night. Like, why uh, are we waiting for, you know the government or an organization or somebody to come in and save us. Like that's not going to happen. We have to be consistent and intentional every single day that we're going to fight this fight, right? For, for true equity, true freedom from oppression and systems of oppression. And without intentionality, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to go to the same people that have not upheld our uh, civil rights already and then ask them to, to, to save and protect us. That just doesn't work like that. So, you know, my thing is about being unrelenting, consistent, and intentional on basically putting power back in people's hands to have the then ability to do better for themselves. Right. Margaret, what you got? And, and, yeah, my, and my thought is that, um, that as Black people, we have to protect the, um, the mechanisms that we have in education to, ed- to educate our own children. Um, and you know, that's, that's charter schools and uh, parents having a choice of where they send their kids to school. 
Um, and I and I think that we can't afford to be used as as pawns um, in a scheme that is about teachers unions having complete power over everything in public education. Um, and you know, you know, I think that it is about uh, it is about membership for them. Um, they are advocates for their members. Um, and I don't think that we should allow their strategy to get in the way of our ability to see the reality that our children are not being well served. And if they spent all of the resources on holding themselves accountable, um, that they do on asking for more, um, even though the, you know, uh, the, the systems that they're asking more from can't afford them then our, our students would be doing better. But that is not the direction in which they spend their resources. They spend their resources to consolidate their own, their own power. Um, but black parents have uh, extraordinary power as well. If we, if we marshal it um, and demand that our students have the same opportunities uh, that other students do in these uh, systems where um, uh, white and, uh, uh, and Asian and wealthier students just fare better. Um, and, and, and that's why, you know, we, we can't allow, um, you know, charter school moratoriums to be wrapped up in a collective bargaining agreement. Um, uh, and, and to, because, uh, it, um, that's what not, that's not what collective bargaining is for. It's for salary and benefits. Uh, and when unions overreach, to try and solve other policy issues through their collective bargaining agreement, they should be called uh, to the carpet on that um, and not allowed uh, to proceed. Um, so we look at Chicago uh, with a lot of, um, uh, of caution in terms of the lessons that it might teach the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I mean, on my end, <laughs> y'all said it all in short. So to be short and sweet, Black people, stop drinking the Kool-Aid. There ain't enough sugar in it. It ain't sweet enough for us. And it's orange flavor. Nobody likes orange Kool-Aid. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. We have the power to do what we need to do for ourselves. We should not be relying on any, any union, any politician, nobody. So when it comes down to our kids and our schools, we have to make sure we get what we need. You know what I'm saying? So stop drinking the Kool-Aid, the red Kool-Aid. I'm out. Hey, you all have done such an amazing job. People, you have been listening to the school podcast, and I am so excited for the potential that this podcast has. You won't be hearing me most of the time moving forward, but um, this was great. We need these voices, um, and uh, I hope you all feel blessed by what you just heard. Respond to them, give out your thoughts, and uh, we're going to keep this work going. This is the school podcast. Peace. Emit light rap or emit teal. I drew a line without showing my body, that's a skill. Bad to the bone and the grill. You be dead wrong if looks kill. I'm still on my spiel in the spirit of L Hill. I own the Sparrow, nose like a Pharaoh's. I bloodline trill for the young and all the Lils. We all gon' get meals. Talk a lot of game, but we get paid to like Jamil. Was raised upon a hill. The valley's a sunken place. I'm just trying to build like I came.